Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Um, the first line of that song would make a great prayer. Hungry I come to you, for I know you satisfy. To, to come with a hunger for the Lord. A hunger for his word, for his truth. Uh, the Lord of the churches has things to say to his people, and let's pray that he will give us ears to hear. Shall we do that? Lord Jesus Christ, this church is yours. It does not belong to any one of us. Uh, you alone have the words of eternal life. And so we want, Lord, to ask you to turn our attention away from other things that would distract us, that would keep us from hearing your voice. Lord, by your Spirit, uh, speak to us and give us the ears to hear, give us the hearts to receive and to cherish to love your truth, and to uh, rely on it. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So we're returning today to the book of Revelation in our series, Hear What the Spirit Says to the Churches. And let's get right to our passage, which today is Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, verses 12 through 17. You have a note sheet in your folder. There also, the words will be up on the screen, or you can use one of the Bibles, one you brought, or one in the racks in front of you. Verse 12, the Lord Jesus Christ says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it known only to him who receives it. So, what is the Lord of the churches saying to us this morning? Well, we need to make sure we understand this message that Jesus spoke to this church years ago uh, before we try to apply it to our lives. Uh, a few things to notice. First, notice that Jesus praises them for remaining true to his name in spite of where they live. Uh, he says Pergamum is 
where Satan has his throne. That means it's an evil place. It's a place where evil things happen. And behind those evil things are evil supernatural forces at work. Now, from history, we know that Pergamum had many large, impressive temples devoted to various pagan idols, and it ended up becoming a place where there were several temples devoted to the worship of the Roman emperor, if you can imagine that. And so just like today, you know, if somebody thinks of New York City, they may think, well, New York City's famous for Broadway shows. Think of Vegas. Vegas is famous for casinos and gambling. In the same way, Pergamum was known for its pagan worship festivals and celebrations uh, there in those uh, idol temples. And it was probably the issue of emperor worship that got the church in trouble with the local authorities. Because the Christians there would not do, they would not say what every good Roman citizen was expected to say. If you were a good Roman citizen and if somebody asked, you were expected to say, Caesar is Lord. Well, the Christians wouldn't do that. They would only ever say, Jesus is Lord. And that got them into trouble, and that was probably the thing that cost this guy named Antipas his life, because he wouldn't say it. He would not say Caesar is Lord, he would say Jesus is Lord. Uh, Jesus calls him my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. He remained faithful to tell the truth about Jesus, that he's Lord, not Caesar. Which is a reminder to us once again that following Jesus is not a safe thing to do in this world, especially in some places. It's not a safe thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Following Jesus is the only way that leads to eternal life and eternal joy, but it's not safe. And yet these people did that in spite of deadly opposition. And Jesus says to them, well done. Well done. Good job. You remain true to my name. And actually, literally, the expression is, you hold fast. You hold fast to my name. You're holding on. You're not letting go. You're holding on to me even though people are threatening your life. I want to be like that. I hope you want to be like that. To hold on to Jesus. Even if somebody sticks a gun to my head and says, deny him or die. I hope and I pray that if that moment ever comes, the Lord will give me the courage to say, go ahead and shoot, because I will not deny my Savior and Lord. So in the face of direct, deadly threats, they remain true. 
But it's not the whole story. Jesus says, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. And see, it's a stark contrast. Instead of holding on to Jesus' name, some are holding on to this teaching, the teaching of Balaam. Now, what does that mean? Well, to really get the whole story of Balaam, you need to go back and read in the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 31. But I'll give you a quick summary here. This is back when the Israelites had just come out of Egypt, well, uh, and, and they are moving toward the promised land, and they are coming, and they are a force to be reckoned with, and some of the nations of the uh, land to which they were coming were obviously very concerned, and one guy in particular named Balak, who was the king of Moab, he got it into his head that he needed to destroy these people, and he'd heard stories about how these people had defeated the greatest army on the face of the earth at that time, the army of Egypt, so he figures he needs an edge to beat them. So what he does is he hires a pagan prophet named Balaam to place a curse on the Israelites in the hopes that this would lead to their military defeat. But as you read the story, every time Balaam opens his mouth, instead of speaking a curse, God overrules him and he speaks words of blessing instead. And uh, it's, it's kind of uh, humorous, in a way, how God takes this effort, this direct attempt to somehow fight against them supernaturally, and God just turns it around. Now, we know the curse wouldn't have worked anyway, but the point is, Balaam's direct attempt to destroy Israel failed. But, here's the thing, Balaam didn't quit. He didn't give up. He just changed his tactics. And so instead of a direct curse and military attack, he advised the Moabites to try a different approach. A subtle approach. And so instead of sending an army of soldiers, they sent a bunch of attractive women who invited the Israelite men to join them for a party. And the party was actually a pagan worship celebration, which involved eating food, sacrifice to the idols, and immoral sexual activity. Numbers chapter 25, verse 1. Take a look. While Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to the sacrifices of their gods. The people ate. See, the way this worked is these sacrificial animals would be slaughtered, placed on the altar to the idol, get all nice and cooked. The meat would be passed out to the worshipers, kind of like your pagan barbecue. <laughs> and they would eat, and they would bow down to the idols these false gods, 
So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So these Israelite men, these crack soldiers who consistently beat their enemies in face-to-face combat, caved in the face of temptation. Now, what does this have to do with the church of Pergamum? What does this have to do with us? Well, it's just this. Satan's strategy has not changed. It hasn't changed. If he can't get us to let go of Jesus with a direct attack, he doesn't quit. He doesn't stop and say, oh, well, I guess I can't hurt this person. He just tries a different approach. One that's indirect and subtle and sneaky and very enticing. He couldn't get the Christians in Pergamum to let go of Jesus by direct threats. So he gave them something else to hold on to instead. This false teaching that made it okay to go to the local temples devoted to pagan gods and eat at the pagan barbecue and indulge in a little pagan sex. And you think, what? What teaching could possibly convince professing Christians to do this? Well, it probably went something like this, because we run into it in other places, particularly in the book of 1 Corinthians. Hey, don't worry. Don't worry about going to those pagan temples with your non-Christian friends, because we know an idol, it's nothing. I mean, the Bible tells us it's nothing. Can't talk, can't see, can't hear it's just, it's just a hunk of wood or metal. We know there's only one real God. And so if you eat meat sacrificed on the altar of an idol, that can't hurt you. Besides, this is a good way to show your non-Christian friends how tolerant you are, how accepting you are of them. And that sexual stuff that goes on in there, well, you don't need to worry about that either because nothing you do with your body can affect your soul. And Jesus saves your soul. So what you do with your body, eh, it's irrelevant. It's a lie. It's a lie. But it was a convincing lie. Especially mixed with some really tasty food and sexual pleasure and a lot of cultural pressure, as this is what you did in Pergamum. So the lesson for us, what is it? Watch out. Be vigilant. That's maybe not a word we use all the time, but it's a good word. Vigilant means to be alertly watchful, especially 
to avoid danger. Vigilant, that's what the, the lookout on the ship does, scanning the horizon for things to collide into. Vigilant, that's what air traffic controllers have to be, watching that radar screen and all those blips and making sure they don't hit each other. Vigilant, alertly watchful to avoid danger. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, the biggest threat you face to your faith is probably not a direct assault. Somebody coming up, sticking a gun in your face and saying, deny Jesus or die. That's probably not the biggest threat you face. The biggest threat you face is indirect, subtle temptation. Some attractive lie that tempts you to turn away from Jesus and hold on to something else. Something that sounds more fun. Something that sounds more satisfying. Something that sounds more acceptable to your friends, to our culture. It's a lie. It's a convincing lie, but it's a deadly lie. This is what we could call Satan's Balaam strategy. His Balaam strategy is if he can't get somebody to let go of Jesus directly, he doesn't go home. He just goes indirect. Tempting them to believe some lie that they'll hold on to. So the Lord of the churches is warning us here for our own good. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Watch out. Look out for the subtle, attractive temptations that would lead us, however slowly, however imperceptibly, away from Jesus. What would we be tempted to hold on to instead of Jesus and what he has taught us, what the word of God teaches us? What would we be tempted to hold on to instead where are we vulnerable to temptation? And if you think, well, I'm not vulnerable to temptation, you just demonstrated how vulnerable you are. We have to be vigilant. We have to be vigilant. So how do we do that? How do we stay vigilant against these indirect attacks on our faith? Okay, two lessons. First, you've got to realize where they're really coming from. These attacks on our faith, these subtle, indirect attacks. Realize where they're really coming from. See, the real battle is never what we see. The real battle is behind what we see. Behind every temptation to distrust God. See, that's what sin is. Sin is when we don't trust God and we do something else instead of trusting God. And the Bible teaches, whatever's not of faith is sin. Uh, Hebrews, um, without faith it's impossible to please God because whoever comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So sin is not trusting God. So that's what temptations are. They're invitations 
to us to not trust God, but to trust in someone or something else, usually ourselves, leaning on our own understanding instead of what God says. Behind every one of those temptations are spiritual forces committed to our destruction. Even though we can't see them, they're there. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes, tricks. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I can't see any of those. Doesn't matter. They're still there. Here's an illustration of this. Part of the lie in Pergamum was that it's okay to go and eat at the local idol temples because, you know, idols aren't real. They're nothing. There's only one real God, right? Okay, but look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 19. Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but. The sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. And I do not want you to be participants with demons. Yeah, it's true there's only one real God. It's true that idols are nothing. They're just useless statues. But see, behind that worship of that idol are spiritual intelligences that are very real and very evil. They were created good, powerful, call them angels, but they rebelled against God and now they seek to undermine God's will at every opportunity. Now they're going to lose the war. That's one of the key messages of this book of Revelation. They're going to lose the war, but they will still try to win every battle that they can in the meantime. And we have to realize how they fight us. When many people think of demonic activity, they think of the weird stuff, the weird spiritual phenomena, you know, uh, scary sights and sounds, black magic, demon possession, and they can do those things, but that's not their main weapon. The main way they try to destroy us is with lies. 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith, the truth, the gospel, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. These lies don't just come out of nowhere. Jesus said in John 8.44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. So we have to get this. You got to get this. Being vigilant means watching out for really good lies. And the reason they're good lies is because they're invented by a really good liar. And here's the thing about a good lie. It doesn't sound like a lie. And it's not like what a toddler tells you when you 
catch him with his hands in the cookie jar when he's not supposed to be there. And you say, why are you doing that? And, you know, the lie is transparent. Or some kid who goes to school without his homework and says, my dog ate it. It's not that kind of lie. These are good ones. They're plausible. They're convincing. And you know what's most dangerous of all? They're probably what we want to believe. That's what makes them really dangerous. We want to believe them. I think that's the reason why so many Christians today are ditching the doctrine of hell. Because they don't want to believe that. I want to believe something else. I think these people in Pergamum that got hoodwinked, I think they wanted to believe it was okay to go out with their friends and eat at the pagan temples. I think there was a real strong pull to do that, and they wanted to go along with their friends. And I think they probably wanted to believe that a little sexual fooling around wouldn't hurt anybody. Just harmless fun. So that when someone told them a convincing lie that made it okay, they bought it. Realize where these indirect attacks are really coming from. They are coming from someone who knows how to lie really well. And he knows the lies that we are inclined to believe. He's not stupid. Now, if you don't want to fall for them, if you don't want to fall for these lies, then you've got to be vigilant. You've got to keep alert for the lies. (laughs) Well, okay, but if they're really good lies, how am I going to know? How am I supposed to recognize a really good lie? All right, that's lesson number two. Remember to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Fight your spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. Any attack on your faith is a spiritual attack. That means your defense has to be a spiritual defense. And God has given us the spiritual weapons we need to defend ourselves. But we have, we have to take the battle seriously enough to use them. He's given us the resources we need, but we have to believe we're really in a fight and we have to use the resources he's given us. All right, so what are the weapons? Take a look at Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, all these pieces of armor, Paul wrote this probably when he was chained up to these Roman soldiers who were wearing all this armor, and he just kind of said, that's kind of cool, and he used that as a symbol. Symbolic, well, what's it, what does it symbolize? What are these pieces symbols of? Here's what they are. One way or another, each piece of this armor points us to this, trusting in the truth 
of God's word. Look at it. You buckle on the belt of what? Of truth. Righteousness, peace, and salvation. Where do you get those? You get them from believing the truth, the gospel, the peace that comes from the gospel, the salvation that comes from the gospel, the righteousness that comes from believing the gospel. Taking up the shield of faith means relying on the truth. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is where we get the truth. So the spiritual weapon we have for unmasking Satan's lies is the truth of God's Word known and believed. The better you know the teaching of God's Word, the better you love and trust and rely on the teaching of God's Word, the better you will be able to identify and resist the lies of the enemy. So practically speaking, what does it mean to be vigilant? It means to be in our Bibles. That's what it means. And there's no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts for getting the truth of what this book teaches into our minds and into our hearts. No shortcuts. And sometimes I'll have people say things like, well, I can't do that. I can't read the Bible. It's just too hard. And my response to that is, baloney. It's not too hard. That's just another lie of the enemy. Yeah, it may be hard, but it's not too hard. If you've got a learning disability or you can't read or whatever, okay. But you know what? The great thing today is you can get the Bible on MP3, on CDs, audio Bibles. You can listen to it. If you can read a newspaper, you can read the Bible. And even if you don't understand everything you read the first time you read it, I don't understand everything I read in the newspaper the first time I read it. You just keep at it. Because it's important. You keep reading. You keep going. You don't get hung up on one little thing you don't understand. You keep doing it. You, You ask for help. You get into a small group. You keep at it. It takes time and effort. There are no shortcuts. The main truths of the Bible are not too hard to understand if we put out the effort. If we're not reading God's Word, if we're not studying God's Word, if we're not learning God's Word, we are setting ourselves up to fail. We're not taking the battle seriously. It's like we think it's not actually happening. If we don't know the truth, and if we don't love the truth, then we will never be able to resist the lies. By the way, just a heads up, this fall, we're planning to uh, rework and do our Bible study method seminar, so you could be vigilant to watch for that, and that'll give you tools and resources for helping with this. So that's one of our spiritual weapons. The other main spiritual weapon for us that God has given us is in Ephesians 6, 18, the very next verse. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The other weapon is prayer. Consistent prayer. Persistent prayer. Prayer for ourselves. Prayer for one another. 
We can't fight these spiritual battles by ourselves. We need to ask the Lord who wields that sharp double-edged sword of his mouth, meaning his word, we need to ask our Lord to wield that on our behalf and with the truth to cut, help us cut through the lies and discern the truth. And we need to pray. We need our brothers and sisters to pray for us. And we need to pray for them. If we're not praying, we're not taking the battle seriously. We're not being vigilant. So these are the weapons God has given us. I just say it like this. Because, you know, that's a Christian answer to everything. Read the Bible, pray. Read the Bible, pray. Read the Bible, pray. Here's what that means. Knowing and believing what God has said and asking Him for His help. That's what that means. Those are our two spiritual weapons for spiritual matters. And here's the thing. We've got to realize what's at stake here. Back up. What's at stake? Holding on to Jesus. Not holding on to something else. Holding on to Jesus. Admiring Him. Treasuring Him. Loving Him. Relying on Him. Receiving from Him all that He wants to give us. Which means we've got to beware of anything. Any speaker, any teacher, any book, any movie, any song, any friend, however convincing, however nice, however eloquent, anyone, beware of anything that invites you or influences you or encourages you to loosen your grip on Jesus and his truth and to hold on to something else instead. He's our only hope, his love, his truth, his grace. He himself is our only hope. Let's pray together. Just take a minute and do a quick quick spiritual inventory. It's a good opportunity for all of us. How vigilant are we being? This is summer. Summer's vacation time. Summer's time to relax. And that's true. And I don't want to say anything bad about that. But there's a difference between resting physically and mentally and taking a vacation from God. And it's kind of easy to do both. Our Lord is telling us we need vigilance. We need to be alert for the lies. And we need to resist them. So just do a quick inventory and whatever it is you need to talk to God about and ask Him for His help right now. Will you do that? Father, thank you for the warning. Thank you for reminding us how easy it is for people who profess your son's name to be strong 
against direct attack, but then to get snared, tempted, led astray by the indirect, sneaky, enticing attack. Lord, keep us alert, keep us vigilant, help us use the weapons you've given us to fight the good fight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.